We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hello, everyone. I am Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Perpetual Chess is a weekly chess interview show where we talk with accomplished chess players, authors, and personalities about their lives, their careers, and how to improve at chess. Perpetual Chess is brought to you through the generosity of its Patreon and PayPal supporters and by Chessable.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. We have a star guest joining us this week. She's had a crazy 2021, as we will discuss. But first and foremost, she is a WGM and an IM with a FIDE rating over 2,400. She's one of the top players in Indonesia and two-time Asian women's champion. She's a Twitch streamer. Uh, She streams in both English and her native Indonesian. And aside from her more traditional chess accomplishments, some of you may recognize our guest's name uh, from a crazy story in a cheating scandal involving I am Levy Rosman, aka Gotham Chess, and an Indonesian chess enthusiast. Um, she's been in the media a lot for this, especially in Indonesia, but also here in the States. The story culminated in Irene playing a live match against an alleged cheater in front of 1.25 million online viewers. That's that's right. That's the number. Um, Ten times bigger than any other live broadcast chess event. So I can only imagine how this has changed her life, and I'm eager to talk about it. But we're not just going to talk about that because Irene has done a lot of media on that topic already. So 
Um, without further ado, let's bring Irene in. Irene, thank you for joining Perpetual Chess. Irene Sukander, I should say. Hello, Ben. Thanks for having me on your podcast. My pleasure. I mean, <laughs> what a year for you, Irene. And by the way, one more fact from the intro, I should mention you studied in the United States. If anyone's wondering why your English is so good, you got a master's in international relations at Webster. You were there at the same time as Eric Rosen and Ilya Nizhnik and who else that we might know, Irene? Uh, I was there along with uh, Lim, Li Kuang Lim. Um, oh, wow. Yep. The, the top Vietnamese player and also Ray Robson. Um, but when I was there, Lim and Ray, they were doing their bachelor degrees. Um, so, oh, Lim and I graduated uh, at the same time. So was Eric because uh, he was there as a transfer student. And he already did two years before in, I can't remember his past university, but he did another two years in Webster. Yeah, I believe University of Illinois before that. I had him on the podcast a long time ago, so I should know this. But uh, Laquang Liam, I believe, um, has taken over for Susan Polgar at Webster. Is that, is that right? Yes, that's right. And Susan, as we are speaking right now, she's retiring officially on this day. Oh, wow. Well, congratulations to her on a um, great, a great career at Webster and everywhere else, obviously. And Irene, as we talk about Webster, I actually, so again, we've got this crazy story that you're probably tired of talking about. Um, I do want to talk about it a little, but let's start with your chess, because I'm going to be referring to a great interview you did with our friend Jen Shahadi for U.S. Chess, the Ladies' Night podcast, which you guys all should be listening to. And uh, your, Irene, your interview in particular, I think, gives good context of the, the story with Levy. But I also would like to refer back to a few other things you mentioned. Number one, what's going on with your chess game, where, as Jen and you discussed, you've got one GM norm. Um, you had sort of a, you expressed like a palpable urge to get out there and play chess, possibly chase the GM title. Uh, so we fast forward, this is about probably six weeks after that interview has recorded. Any update on what's been going on with that in your busy life, Irene? Well, um, I'm still trying to be focusing myself on chess, of course, because that's the main thing. But um, what I'm seeing right now myself with chess is that chess is not the only thing that I'm doing. Chess is like the opening door of all the opportunities that I might get and I have gotten already. So right now, even though I'm focusing on chess, but I've also been doing this chess promotion for my country, especially because uh, when I got my WGM title back in 2008, when I was 16, that was also one of my priorities, you know, uh, to bring chess um, into the girls' world more because I'm the living proof that uh, I'm a girl and I still can do it. And also, uh, I still can also do my education because that's important uh, because uh, that's what most parents think nowadays when they're uh, putting their kids onto some extracurricular activities such as chess. Uh, they're thinking that it might not be good for their school and so on, but chess turns out to be very beneficial in every aspect of your life. So right now I'm, I'm preparing myself for the World Cup, uh, which will be happening in Russia in July. And um, me and three other Indonesian players will also be there, two uh, in the men and two in the women, including myself. And from there, we'll see. Um, I'm also planning to play in the Beal Open. I think chess has been resuming again, uh, especially in the coming summer. And that would be a very good plan if that can happen, you know, uh, because we still have to be 
very cautious about this COVID um, protocols and all things. Yeah, well, I'm glad to hear that you're getting after it. I know with with all the attention and the opportunities that you mentioned, um, I'm sure that there there can be some temptation to to skip tournaments. So, and and the World Cup is always fun, um, and a tournament like the Beal Open, I'm sure, would also um, be fun. Um, and speaking of chess in Indonesia, so there was a big write-up on you in uh, the Jakarta Post. Um, I'm sure it's probably more than one write-up, given the nature of the attention you got. But just speaking about the chess culture, they say, um, ask any Indonesian person about chess and what comes to mind are not professional players slugging it out at international championships, but rather the image of their father slipping away after dinner time, hanging out with his buddies at the Pas Ronda, chatting over a game of chess. So... Uh, first of all, you have to tell me what a pas ronda is, but also can you can you uh, talk a little bit more about what what the culture has been like there and, and what you're doing to change it, Irene? Yeah, well, pas ronda is this thing. Um, it's um it's a small how do you call it? It's a it's a small building that put for the security people at night because um, yeah, in Indonesia we have this thing like every night everyone will. You know, we'll have their turn to guard the houses areas. And there are some specific people who do that. And this is the place where there will be gathering, you know, like one person will be guarding the A section or B section and so on. So uh, while they're waiting for the sun to be rising, they usually, you know, spending their time playing cards or chess and something like that. So Posteranda is that one. And uh, the culture of chess itself in Indonesia is actually, um, I would say, underappreciated uh, compared to the Western world because chess is actually pretty big in Indonesia. It's been played uh, over so many years. And and I recently learned this, although I must have known this already uh, from years ago, but um, before the pandemic, my last tournament was in Amsterdam in that of chess tournament, the GM norm tournament. And I went um, to the Max Airway uh, Centrum where I could find so many historic uh, stories, pieces, articles, and everything else. And there is one section which um, written about the Indonesian players in the past where um, where Max went to Indonesia and then he went to this specific part of Sumatra where it is very known until now that they will produce so many good players just by, you know, they, they, they don't play uh, theoretical chess, but their instinct for tactical chess was just very good. And that attracted uh, Mexico to visit them and then play some uh, simultaneous chess. And that time, Indonesia was, of course, um, under the the Dutch colonies. So I think that's one of the reasons uh, of the visit. But nevertheless, uh, this already shown that uh, Indonesia has great um, passion for chess. And it is just about time uh, for the Indonesian women's chess to also rising, you know, just like in the men. And when I became WGM uh, in 2008, I think it was one of the moments where I could uh, turn the table around, especially for women's chess here in Indonesia. And uh, now we can see so many girls playing chess. And in the past few years, also the achievements that our women's team have gotten, um, they are actually greater than the men's team. So uh, 
what I'm doing for Indonesian chess is just basically promoting the women's chess itself because I see there are so many um, potential in it that has to be explored. And and even though this is not my task to do it, but I have some sort of uh, moral responsibility that I have to do it. Wow. Well, that's that's admirable. And I know that um, you've mentioned in previous interviews the how much work it took for you to get to, to where you are. Um, I know you talked about how you worked like super long days as a kid. So anyone who thinks like you're leading a charm life because um, you are already one of the best chess players in your country. And then now you've got this sort of uh, injection of celebrity based on this story. Um, you worked very hard. So could you um, could you go into your background a little bit about what your training regimen was like as a kid? And of course, uh, listeners always like to hear any tips, anything that that really helped your chess game along the way, but also just sort of the, the lifestyle of what it was like to be sort of a top young player um, pursuing education and chess. Yep. Well, before I got into the national team, because when I got into the national team, they will handle me and you know provide me with good trainers and trainings and so on. But before that, I think um, I think I was I was around like nine to nine to 11 or 12 years old yeah around those times actually there were there were golden years for me to improve and my parents uh recognized this so besides um studying at the chess school where all the kids also did uh my parents did something extra that is to bring me around the the train station with if you're Indonesian, you will know what I meant. Like this train station, the uh, the bus terminals, uh, the markets, and so on. Um, the idea is to get me to play against um, those players who I mentioned before who don't play theoretical chess, but they have very good instinct in chess, especially in tactics. And of course, if you know theory very well, you could just punish them earlier in the beginning of the game. Uh, because they don't know openings. But I was a kid and um, my openings repertoire was also very limited. And this is actually a good train, uh, a good training for me um, to, to widen my own repertoire, you know, not, not in the openings, but for, um, for characteristics. I mean, I mean, like if I play in some tournaments overseas, most of the players will just play some theoretical chess. Uh, but here, when my parents and my bro- my brother brought me to the train station playing against those people and then it was very noisy as well and the and the and the people they were chattering and so on you know this is this is some yeah. some train for me not only for chess but also for the surrounding like how to keep myself focused despite um all this disturbance and that's what i think is not um you know uh, the other kids didn't do it, and I was very grateful that I already passed this period because it's very important. It's a very important experience for me. And when my parents put me there, um, he would try to get me paired with somebody strong, and then if they could win against me, my my dad would pay them some money. But if they lost against me, then that, that's nothing. It's fine. Because what we need is, you know, the experience to play. And then I we, we don't we don't seek winning here. Yeah? We don't seek winning. We just want to seek the the knowledge, you know, and then 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 the experience itself. And was that an attitude that you needed to be taught? Because a lot of 
people, kids especially, when especially those that gravitate towards chess, like they hate losing. So you're saying you were basically trained to by losing. They that your your dad and your brother took you went out of their way to take you to places where you would play tough tough competition and lose lots of games. So was that something that that just came naturally to you where you would learn from it and move on? Or did, was there like a lot of sort of hard moments along the way where you had to get used to it? Yeah. Um, so since I was a kid and when I, I chose this game, my parents, especially my dad, already told me that in order to be uh, a great player, you have to lose, you have to lose so many games. And, and they kept trying to give me some understanding on why they brought me to this to these places because of course as a kid you know you, you want some comfortable places to play in right not some place like that but uh what they told me is that you know you play in this place first and then when you go back to your own age group to your um you know your classroom and so on you'll you'll be a lion and you might be yeah you might be a cat right now or you know some weak <laughs> animal uh but this is how you train yourself to be a lion. And then when you get back later, not against uh, these adults, but against your age group, yeah, you'll be the top of your class. So something like that. So it's, it, it motivates me, you know, and then, and then they also taught me that, um, yeah, losing is fine. Losing is fine because as a kid, um, my parents um, employed this type of uh, reward and punishment uh, system to the kids, uh, to me and my brother, uh, that if I, if I did something good, of course, they would reward me. If I did something bad, they would punish me. And then when I lost my games, I wouldn't get punished every time, but, but my dad would see like how bad I was at my game. Like if I, if I lost just because of, um, you know, some, positional mistakes, you know, we, we can actually uh, measure like how bad it is. But if I, if I lost just because, okay, I blundered my piece right away or just because I overlooked uh, that my piece was under attack or something like that, that it would be a bad loss. And then um, he would punish me in such a way, mostly about um, um, exercising but at that time, oh. I didn't know. I didn't know that it was it was what he thought uh, for the punishment. So after I lost such a game, they, um, my parents would brought me to some uh, stadium, and then they would told me, "Okay, because you lost this game, you have to run a few laps wow. or something like that." And um, yeah, so that was how I, I brought up, you know, not only in chess but also. They trained me to be really tough um, on my body as well, um, physically, because uh, chess requires um, so much thing, you know, not only learning about the technique itself, but also um, that you have to keep being fit physically. Wow, that's a that's an insane story, Irene. Um, so a <clears throat> um, couple things. I mean, first of all, the fact that you were doing physical training was also like as a result of losing games was probably good for your chest, too. But here in the West, I feel like especially kind of in modern times, less so like my parents' generation and going back, like that that kind of uh, very disciplinarian type um, parenting is sometimes frowned upon. Um, is How is it perceived in Indonesia and, and how do you look back on, on it like now as an adult? Yeah, uh, I don't think, you know, I have... Um... 
I have a sister, a younger sister, 12 years younger than me. And of course, uh, she didn't, she didn't go through the same training, um, like me and my brother, because it's just different era. Yeah. It's just different yeah. era. Uh, so maybe it's not very suitable right now, but the idea is clear that you need to do something extra if you want to be the greatest. Um, right. the implication and how you do it, uh, it's, it's, totally different um depends on the place the country where you live in the culture that you're uh having and so on but um the fundamental idea is there that my parents did this you know that the other parents didn't do uh so that i could i could go further than other kids uh so i think the support of parents here is very uh significant um into my achievements because uh, of course i couldn't do it alone but um this is what you know if i could look back uh on what my parents did to me maybe sometimes i felt it was a bit too um how do you call it not vicious but it was a bit too tough yeah on on mm -hmm. um on kids like me i was not even 10 years old at that time but right. But maybe I was already a very tough kid back then because, um, yeah, I could remember that they called me very hyperactive, that I couldn't really sit still, that I would do something, climbing a wall or, you know, climbing a tree or playing bike for kilometers, kilometers away, far away from home, just very, just being very naughty. But, but maybe such mentality was already, already grown on me. And then uh, my parents uh, saw that this is, this is um, the type of, of training that uh, would fit in with me. Wow, that's that's interesting. Um, and you, your dad was a table tennis professional, is that correct? Yes, yes. Uh, she has the. Uh, sorry, he has this uh, athlete foundation within himself. So when I started playing chess, he could identify that um, I had this. I had the talent on chess, so that's why he told me to pursue it, and um, and then help me to do everything I have to do uh, in order to be like a real athlete, you know? So I think, I think it's a good thing to have um, my parents, uh, especially my dad um, as a former table tennis player, because not only chess, but he was also focusing on my physique. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. And I'm again, especially in classical chess, stamina makes a, a big difference. Um, so obviously you were working very hard, making great sacrifices, Irene, but um, in terms of the actual chess, like in aside from the sort of what you describe as like the school of hard knocks, like Botfinick getting the smoke blown in his face and blasting the music or whatever. But like, what about the actual grind of the study? Were you doing tactics puzzles? Was it mostly coach coaching that you were getting or what, what were you doing to improve? Yep. I, I read lots of books. Um, I read... Yeah, I read lots of books before I got into the national team. Uh, I like history, uh, but I don't really like reading chess books. So the way I try to trick myself is that I would find a book which has story in it. So mm -hmm. I would, yeah, I would, I would play along the games, but I would love the game to have like uh, some narration to it. So not only the chess game, but I also can relate the story behind the games and so on. That would be that would be uh, interesting for me. Um, I do, uh, 
yeah, obviously I did lots of tactics. And as a chess player from Asia, I think uh, it's very natural for us to be a good tactical player. And that was my my initial characteristic in chess as well, that I like aggressive, open position chess um, and types like that. Um, but now, yeah, but now... You know, I'm, I'm growing also on chess that I have to be flexible when I have to play positional chess, when I have to play tactical chess. But tactics was, um, yeah, that was one of my main, my main training back, back in the days. And I played lots of games. So not computer games because back then, um, I only played over the board chess. Um, so I think my, my cycle was just there. I played lots of lots of games. I analyzed with them and also with my with my dad, who also uh, not very bad at chess back then, and um, and I also did tactics. So I think it it helped, you know. And then when I got into the national team, uh, they would help me with all these theoretical chess from the openings and then and then um, the end games for sure because uh, we we hired mostly uh, Russian trainers. So I uh, happened to learn the end game first compared to the openings. And yeah, I think that was basically my routine. And um, yeah, just play a lot of chess, uh, analyze and tactics. Yeah, and with a few books turned into stories thrown in. Um, can, you, can you think of any examples of uh, books that you read that you kind of turned into a story? I know it was a long time ago. Okay, Actually, um, such books would be like, I can't even remember now, but I read a lot of InfoMatter, although there's oh, wow. no story. That's in tough it. to turn into a story. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's not a story, but if you yeah. see, if you see um, uh, before the games and after the games, there were like cross tables and so on. So that was my story, even though there were no words, but I could just find like, oh, for example, this is uh, Hort versus Karpov uh 81 and then i would just see the cross table oh these are the players yeah i recognize these players from the other games and so on so i make my own story not that not that i make it up but i'm just trying to relate one cross table to another and then maybe from the chess magazines that i read as well oh this is the story of that tournament so something like that um but to get those stories maybe not from books because sometimes um the chess authors they don't really care about the narration just the content itself. Right. So yeah. yeah, so most stories I, I just got from chess magazines, and um, I read lots of chess magazines. Even even when I told my um, my trainers right now, like yeah, I know you from uh, the 19, 1994 chess magazines. Okay, I was two years old at that time, but okay, I, I read it like um, a couple of years later when I started playing chess. Uh, yeah, I just like all these stories so that. Um, you know, I did, not only chess history, but I like history in general. Maybe that's why. That that's crazy. Yeah, and for for listeners who aren't familiar, the Informator was basically like a peer, a chess periodical with just games in it, and as Irene mentioned, cross tables. So it took some imagination to turn that into stories. But like you say, the the stories are in there. You know, just like when you look at a graph of a game, it sort of tells the story, like a computer evaluation graph, which also didn't exist back then or barely existed. Um, the the cross tables tell a story as well, so it's cool that that you were able to key key in on that. Um, so bringing it back to current days, Irene, you've got a couple tournaments coming up, um, and you're obviously super busy. 
um, with a lot of professional opportunity and media requests like mine. Um, so what are you working on now, chess-wise? Are you able to, to train as well? And, and if so, what sort of stuff do you do? Yeah, uh, right now I am training with uh, my teammates from uh, the national team because we are preparing also for one major event uh, for our region, the Southeast Asian Games. Uh, that will happen in November, December, I guess, this year uh, in Vietnam. And that's usually being held once every two years. The last one was in the Philippines. Uh, and now it, it is in Vietnam. And Indonesia has been the overall champion for the past two sea games. So we are very happy. We are overtaking uh, the other the other countries. And we are planning to defend it, of course, this year again. And so uh, my teammates and I are are training for, for that one and uh, Bill Open and other events um, on the way to SEA Games are our tryouts, you know, because, um, yeah, we have to, we have to, we have to play anyway, because we've been idling for a year without any serious chess. I mean, online chess, we play still, but, you know, not over the board chess. So that's what we've been doing. Uh, we are, we are playing training games and then we're analyzing and then, yeah, just some normal stuff, you know, and everyone, of us, uh, we are also doing our own uh, new opening repertoire and something like that. Okay. Sounds like it's keeping you pretty busy. Yep. Cool. Um, well, we've got a listener question for you, Irene. And you had mentioned earlier um, how y- you want to be a role model for girls in particular, um, obviously in Indonesia, but but throughout the world. And this one relates to uh, women in chess. So this is a question from uh, Stefan Bagria uh, for people who support Perpetual Chess um, via Patreon or PayPal, they can find out the guests and send, send questions in. So Stefan says, uh, first of all, let me say just how much of an inspiration Irene is, and I imagine even more so in her native country. I'd like to hear her thoughts on what can be done to accelerate the inclusion of more and more women in chess. Is popularization enough to eventually bridge the numeric gap, or should FIDE and national federations also think of further incentives? like uh, increasing prize pools and stuff like that. Is getting rid of separate competitions for men and women desirable as some men claim would help? Yep. Um, I think the the foremost um, reason that you can get to popularizing chess uh, among women is that to get a few stars already in it. Like we already have Judith Polgar, like myself. How did I get into chess and how did I get inspired into chess? Because I looked up at some figure uh, some of them uh, was Judith Polgar, for example, and also uh, Maya Chibudanitze and so on. Maybe from the kids nowadays, the girls nowadays, they might look up at somebody like Howie uh, Fan, right? And then uh, Juwenjun or the Kosteniuk or the other Russians, yeah? So we already have uh, stars like that, but what we have to do is just keep doing it, keep doing it. We have to give, uh, we have, we have to, we have to get uh, more names like that and then not stopping there. Um, so the girls can actually look up at, at them and then and then be inspired and then uh, get themselves into chess. That That's um, one thing. And another about prize money. Yeah, it is true that I've, uh, I've actually brought this up many times, uh, not only in the national forum, but also 
also to the international forum. Uh, for example, um, even though I'm in FIDE myself, sometimes I also um, have different opinion. Uh, for example, in the last Asian Nations Cup, there are some um, uh, big difference, you know, in terms of price money between men and women. We played uh, on the on the same number of days. We played um, literally everything was the same. Um, but yeah, if I'm not mistaken, it was like 70-30, you know, the, the division. And it was really not great. It was, if it was like 60-40, then it's fine. And I brought it I brought this up in the closing ceremony where everyone was finally uh, backing me up, especially the woman. Yeah, uh, you just need somebody to speak up for sure um, um, because just being silent will not help. Uh, so I myself tried to speak it up and uh, maybe it will take some time uh, for women and men to get equal in terms of price money uh, in chess especially. But we are working towards it. Um, and, and I hope it will be achieved soon because, uh, right now I see that women has been improved so much. I mean, uh, women's chess has been improved so much. Uh, I think it's just a matter of time that we can really get this dream into reality. Okay. Well, I'm glad to hear that you say you see a bit of progress, although I do wish it would go a little faster. Um, and of course, in, in your ladies night interview with, uh, with Jen Shahadi, you guys talked about Queen's Gambit a little bit. Um, has Have you seen the effect of that even in Indonesia? And do you feel like it's affected you personally, Irene? Yes, yes. Um, obviously, it's a great promotion for chess uh, because during the pandemic, everyone, I think, uh, was just, you know, they're mostly at home and, of course, um, watching, right? And then um, the timing of the Queen's Gambit was just perfect, I guess. Um, I think it was in October or November last year, and then everyone was just talking about it, and um, especially in Indonesia, it's just like one after another. And when the euphoria about the Queen's Gambit was not finished yet, and then there was a case between me and the Wakifas. So, um, well, I, I I'm happy that the Indonesian people still got entertained after a few months, but um, but. I was projecting myself to not stopping there. I mean, uh, chess promotion has has to be continued always. And uh, the good way to do it is just, you know, to get achievement of yourself first. Uh, like what I said before, to, to be an inspiration to others, uh, along with all these uh, chess projects that I've been doing so far. But I have to prove, um, I have to prove to others that uh, this is me. A chess player, a female. I uh, I can get my education in the U.S. Um, and it was a scholarship, and I am also a grandmaster. And uh, financially speaking, I'm um, I'm quite enough. Like uh, I don't really have any problem with that. So um, I just have to prove these all key elements uh, to people who are doubting chess, especially uh, girls who play chess. So yeah. First of all, you just have to be a living proof and and everything will be taken care of by themselves. Yeah, that's that's great advice. And that's certainly, like you say, people like uh, Judith Bogar have, have blazed the trail in that regard. Um, Irene, we got more to talk about. Speaking of the Dua Kippus match, I, I think it's time to dive in. But first, let's take a break and hear from our friends at chessable.com. 
This is your weekly reminder that Chessable.com has a ton of high-quality material. Whether you're looking to learn a certain opening, want to see the latest Super GM repertoire that has been published, want to find a tactics course appropriate for your level, whatever it may be, go to Chessable.com and have a look around. Don't forget they have tons of cool free content too, like their short and sweet courses about various openings. And all of the things that they offer feature their proprietary move trainer technology, the secret sauce that lets you actually remember all of the new chess moves and opening sequences that you learn. So once again, Chessable.com, check out their ever-expanding excellent library. And we are back, and we are going to dive into this story again that Irene has talked about so much. So, Irene, I feel like, again, a lot of listeners might have caught wind of this. A lot of, a lot of people probably even saw your most viewed match of all time, which, by the way, 1.25 million viewers, and somehow I wasn't one of them. So, <laughs> so it could have been even bigger because I should be watching. But do you want me to sort of give the, the very brief version of the story, or would you prefer to? It's up to you because I know you're probably tired of... Uh, of discussing it in so much detail. No, you can you can go ahead. I I'd, I'd okay. be yeah. I'll be curious okay. to see if it from uh, your point of view. Okay, and you'll be my fact checker. Okay. Okay. All right. So uh, I am Le- Levy Rosman, aka Gotham Gotham Chess. Of course, one of the most popular YouTubers and streamers in the world is playing on stream, and he's playing a, an Indonesian gentleman um, who beats him in what's considered suspicious style. Basically, he's taking the same amount of time for every move, whether it's an obvious recapture or not. And um, Levy reviews his game history on chess.com, and it turns out that the guy had a very stable rating, I believe, around 1,700. I'm not sure about that. And then all of a sudden just took off uh, like a rocket and is playing like, you know, 95 or 98 plus uh, rated games, um, you know, on the uh, algorithm that rates the quality of your game. Just game after game. So no one knows for sure in these cases, but it's very suspicious. It would be uh, the first time in history that someone had just like snapped their fingers and made a jump in chest strength like that. Um, So Levy kind of makes jokes on stream, as far as I know, about uh, the guy being a cheater. And um, then Levy gets some vicious backlash from a lot of um, Indonesian chess fans. And he's being harassed online. His girlfriend is being harassed online. This is in subsequent days, obviously, not at the same time. The guy uh, vociferously denies cheating. Um, And eventually, um, you speak up and just say, you know, from my perspective as a top chess player, it it does seem suspicious. So you're trying to defend Levy and to kind of um, calm down the angry mob, as it were. Um, And eventually... Uh, first of all, you go on this like huge podcast uh, in Indonesia. Um, what's it called? Uh, op- close, close the, the door. door. Close the all door. All right, I got <laughs> it. Um, so you go on the Close the Door podcast, uh, which uh, you and Jen like into something like the the Joe Rogan Show. Just huge popularity, general interest podcast. Uh, talk about it, and then end up playing a match, an um, in real life uh, over the board match against this gentleman, Dua Kaipas. Um, for pretty pretty high prizes, as, as we will discuss shortly. Um, and you win the match easily, and uh, things have maybe died down a bit from from there. Um, so how did I do, Irene? Uh, pretty good, but maybe I'll, I'll uh, uh, modify a little bit. It's not the Indonesian chess fans, because if they're really chess fans, they wouldn't really be angry at Levy. It's just 
the Indonesian, we call it netizens, you know, the, the Indonesian you know, internet users. Because uh, the chess fan itself, like for example, when I was playing this match, the, you know, I think almost all Indonesian chess communities would be um, giving their support to me because as uh, as real chess fans they know which side they have to they have to uh, go for so it's basically the angry mob there just uh the inter- indonesian internet users the netizens we call it so yeah that's pretty much it okay not bad mm-hmm. and again i chess.com wrote a very good uh big article about this you and jen uh covered it at length so I don't want you to have to rehash the exact same things. But one question I have, Irene, is like, has there been any new developments in the story since your interview on Lady, on the Ladies' Night podcast? Any, any new fallout? Have you heard from people? Any new opportunities? Stuff like that? No. Uh, it's pretty much uh, the same about the case. There's no development about it. But what we can uh, take out from uh, the case is just in the, uh, the Chess Indonesia has gotten bigger and bigger, and even now, um, I think I think chess has been viewed differently uh, from before. Like before, chess was seen as uh, as what you as you read in, in Jakarta Post, right? Just a game yeah. in post ronda, and then you know this chess cover and so on. But now, uh, as I brought chess to the intention. Um, that chess, how chess professional is doing and so on. Um, I think they, they treat chess differently as they gain respect on chess. Like, um, like, well, chess players are really, you know, uh, if you're a chess professional, they're, they can really be a scientist or, you know, because they're kind of doing research all days and, and so on. But, um, I think, I think it's just, you know, how, how people see it, and then it would change, completely changing uh, how chess will be perceived. So I'm just, we actually, the, the Indonesian chess community right now are just trying to um, enjoy the moment because we haven't seen um, the peak of chess like this before. Well, that's good to hear. And I know you do some streaming. I believe you told Jen you stream primarily mm. in English. Um do you get much interest from Indonesian um, new chess fans or chess fans generally when you do stuff like streaming? Yes, definitely. I only stream uh, in English before, but then since the case uh, with me and, and Dewakipas, um, there are more and more Indonesian chess fans coming into my stream. And then they asked me to also do some Bahasa Indonesia streaming, uh, which I finally uh, taking turn between English and Bahasa, something like that. Um, so, and sometimes they, they told me that, yeah, I, I registered on Twitch just because I want to see you streaming and something like that. Wow. <laughs> so, um, and now um, I'm just directing myself to YouTube. I'm also a content creator uh, for, for chess, obviously, but strictly in, in Bahasa. I only did a, a little clips from Twitch streaming to YouTube, but uh, if I uh, if I uh, did something for YouTube, it's just uh, you know some uh, chess contents like uh, like what others 
what others do. Like my friend Eric Rosen also did so many chess videos and of course uh, Levy himself, but they're in English. So what I'm doing is uh, I'm doing things like this, but in Bahasa Indonesia. Okay. Yeah. And obviously big country, a lot of opportunity, especially for mm-hmm. someone as accomplished and, and well-known as yourself. Um, and Irene, are you spending all of your professional time on chess? Do you still do any work in any other fields? Uh, currently, no. I think all my all my jobs and all my projects are related to chess strictly. Um, I'm in FIDE right now uh, in the PDC, the Planning and Development Commissions. Uh, and I'm a counselor for the Asian continent. Um, that's because of chess, of course. And uh, all other projects that I've been taking so far, they are mostly because of chess. So I think I think chess has given like um, great opportunities that we haven't seen before. And uh, this is something that I try to do, you know, just not only for myself, but also to others who also pursue chess that um, to show them like, look, chess is not only what you see on the board, but there are more to it off the board as well. Yeah. Yeah. That it's great. It's great that you shine that light. And you mentioned, of course, being friends with I am Eric Rosen. I know you guys have collaborated on some Twitch streams and stuff like that. Um, does as someone who's kind of blown up in the chess world, um, has, has Eric given you, uh, any useful advice that you could share in terms of, uh, you're bringing your chess content to, to the Indonesian chess fans? When I decided to start streaming on Twitch or pretty much uh, entering the streaming world, um, I I talk to Eric almost every day, even until today, yeah. <laughs> uh, unless we're not busy. Uh, yeah, but but yeah, he always gave me so many uh, great insights, you know. And yeah, I'm I'm very newbie at first, uh, but now I'm I'm catching up, and maybe I'm still not as good as him, but uh, at least I know how how things work. Um, yeah, he has given me so many so many uh, you know priceless uh, insights where you can only get it through seminars or some other coachings. Right. (laughs) Yeah, most people, it's like, uh, you know, a a stock professional trading stocks or something. Like if they know something of true value, they're not super incentivized to share it. And Eric, as much success as he's had, luckily you're good friends with him. But I've got to follow up, Irene. Is there, can you think of anything specific, anything that he said that like you said, oh, I'm having this problem, this technical problem, or I'm not reaching this segment of the people where he was able to give sort of specific advice to, to help you? Uh, uh, specific advice, probably more technical, like how to set this up, how to you right. know, get all the themes uh, appearing or something like that. But what he has been doing so far, besides teaching me something that I didn't know before, he's also very supportive. Um, like for example, uh, when I told him that, okay, I'm, I think I'm going to also do some uh, YouTube content. And then he said, okay, go for it. And then after a while, I gave him um, like some uh, regular report, like, uh, okay, up to this one, I got this many subscribers and this and this and this. And he was very supportive uh, saying like, oh, it took me about three times uh, that length to get that many subscribers or something like that. Or, oh, wow. It, it took me, you know, um, 
a few months to get that type of donation or anything like that. And he was trying, you know, to keep pushing me that, okay, I can do better and better. And then of course, uh, when we are doing these chess videos and so on, like he, he told me, yes, it makes sense that you do this in Bahasa, you know, uh, that like what he clearly told me is that I don't see anyone um, as in other streamers as my competition. I'm very happy to help them. And that's what he's been uh, not only telling me, but uh, I think I think his fears also see this because um, uh, he is known to to be very helpful to other uh, small streamers, you know? Uh, and then, yeah, I think that's why people love him. <laughs> yeah, of course. Shout out to Eric, supporter of the podcast. So there's just one of what I'm sure are many, many examples. And of course, he's been on the show Um as well. Well, that's that's awesome to hear. And Irene, are you are you happy with how your your YouTube channel and your Twitch um, audience are are going? Are you or do you feel like it's a fruitful investment so far? Yeah, uh, I think I think um, they're they've been very great. I really love interacting interacting with people uh, when we're talking about chess. Um, it's also you know it's it has given me so many insights because uh, there are so many people coming from all over the world. And then uh, I love geography as well, because I love visiting new places and so on. So we can share stories about their own places and, and it's been fun, but um, I haven't really streaming on Twitch lately uh, due to some personal reasons. And also because of my uh, busy uh, plans so far this month. And I don't know uh, when I'll be coming back streaming again, uh, because um, the World Cup is coming, and then it's, yeah, yeah. So it's it's time for me to be like a serious chess player right now. Not only for the promotion or or for the fun, but now it's a uh, it's serious time. Well, good for you. I know that that has to be a, a you know a hard balance to strike between because like any gain you get, especially financially, from like. A, increased chest strength or a better showing at a tournament isn't going to be the same as like growing an audience of your own, but chess is what got you here and chess is what you love. So Mm -hmm. it's good that, that you maintain that focus. Yeah. Um, So getting back to the Dua Kaipas story, we have one more Patreon mailbag question. Mm -hmm. Uh, This one is from Frederick Ryan and Frederick says, uh, is the money you receive for winning your match against Dua Kaipas the most you've ever received for winning a chess event? Um, and if you don't mind saying, I mean, I think it's sort of public record. Um, I believe it was around fourteen thousand U.S. dollars. Is that is that right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so that's a big that's a big payday, right? Yeah, it was it was a big payday. But uh, to be honest, when I got it, I felt I only felt relief. I didn't really feel like oh, I'm getting fourteen k. You know, I didn't think it financially. It's just um, I was so much under stress uh, prior to the match, and I was just very happy. Uh, that it was um, ended in my favor. Uh, but to answer your question, no, that's not the biggest uh, price money I've ever received. I know it might sound strange because Indonesia is not like really a chess country, um, but uh, chess in Indonesia is quite appreciated uh, in comparison to other sports as well. So, for example, we have this uh, National Olympics it's pretty much like the Olympics, but only for Indonesian, uh, the Indonesian provinces. And then um, the, the the bonus of the gold medal it sometimes can be up to, uh, let me check. It's up to 50 million rupees. So for, 
maybe around 40k or something. So, um, yeah, that's 14 or four, four zero or one zero four zero. Wow. Yeah. It's up to, because, uh, sometimes I, um, my province only has, uh, about 14 K for one gold medal, but sometimes, uh, within one event like this, I could get like five gold medals. So you can do the math. And I think that's one of the main reasons, uh, that I skip Olympiads. Um, the last Olympiads, the chess Olympiad that I played was in 2014 in Tromsø, Norway. And then I didn't play any Olympiads after that in 2016 because I was, I was in the States. I was, I, I think I was doing my, my final exam or something and I couldn't, I couldn't represent my country for the Olympiad. Um, and also sometimes it's because it's clashing with the national Olympics. Then, um, yeah, even though I'd love to, to play in the Olympiads, but yeah, you cannot yeah. you cannot waste this type of opportunity because it's only, yeah, exactly. it's only being held uh, once every four years. This National Olympics. Mm-hmm. Okay, and will you be playing? Is it coming up this year? It was supposed to be played last year uh, in twenty twenty, but because of the pandemic, it, it gets it, it gets delayed until this year. So this year we have so many major events: uh, World Cup, and then the National Olympics somewhere in September or October, and then the the Sea Games. And this Sea Games itself, uh, uh, I didn't win any gold medal in the last Sea Game in two thousand and nineteen. But those who those who won the gold medal, they got the bonus uh, from the government for five hundred million rupees. I think I have to do the math. I think it's about forty k mm-hmm. or something. Yeah, that's 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 big. So, uh, but it it doesn't happen like uh, continuously every year, right? We just have to wait for this event so that we can get this type of payment, um, right? But yeah, but that's how chess in Indonesia. Well, I mean, first of all, that's great to hear. I wish there were that level of support in many more countries. Mm-hmm. And as you say, the work you're doing to popularize the game, you know, uh, getting that kind of financial support can, can only help continue to grow chess in Indonesia, which obviously helps to grow chess uh, everywhere else. Um, so that's that's great to hear. So one more follow-up, Irene, on the Dua Kaipa story, because when you when you did the interview with with Jen Shahadi, mm-hmm. you mentioned um, that you were about to do what sounded like a crazy event to me. You were gonna go in a uh, you were gonna ride with a race car driver and play a blindfold chess game. Yep. While while doing the race. Yep. So you're sitting here, so you survived first of all. <laughs> yeah. Glad to see that. Uh, how did the uh, chess game go? Oh, it happened. It happened. And it was, um, so I was seated in a car, in a drifting car with a professional drifter. And um, there was another person in the tent and we're communicating via uh, earphone or something. Uh, And there was internet installed in the car as well. So whenever um, he played the move, the moderator will, of course, announce which move was that. And I would uh, immediately say my move. Uh, but it turned out very crazy because normally uh, during the drifting session or competition, uh, normally you just do it for like three minutes, five minutes stops because otherwise the, the, the tires will be exhausted and then it, was, it will do 
it will not do good for the machine as well. But turns out during the match, uh, we took more than 15 minutes and I got very, very sick. <laughs> I almost puked in the car. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah, because... Uh, once I started thinking and suddenly the car was drifted to the other corner, I was like so shocked. And then I, I had to, I had to, uh, remember all the moves again and so on. And I actually almost lost in the game, but I managed to, I managed to draw it. It was such a, it was such a crazy game. Yeah. I think at some moment I just blundered the piece just because it was already more than 10 minutes. I was, it was very hard to keep. Uh, your focus uh, in such a situation. But uh, everything turned out to be great because after that we got uh, we got this award from Indonesian Record Museum that this is the first thing that has ever done in, in Indonesia, uh, that playing the blind chess in a drifting car. I should, yeah, I would think so. That That is crazy. Now, if someone asks you, Irene, I mean, obviously, this is a landmark story, this, this Duo Kaipas thing, um, one of a kind in chess history. But if someone asks you, what was the craziest experience of all that, that you had? Is that the number one, the car racing or the blindfold chess while in a drifting car? Or is there something that tops that for you? I think the most memorable is the bullying. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's prior to the match. It's not after the match. I mean, uh what happened after the match is just all good, you know, like um yeah. even if I even if I say some something wrong, one word wrong, it doesn't matter. But before the match, even if I did or said something right, every every story will be twisted according to the media, you know, and then uh, according to what people want to hear and and that was it was it was a very tough uh, it was a very tough moment for me i know i know people would be just ah oh, it's all right you know everything is okay now but when you were in my shoe that time um uh, i don't know I, I i really cannot i cannot really explain anymore because um yeah, yeah. I mean, we're talking about millions of people. I mean, uh, I know. you know, over a million people watch. So that scale of people, obviously, it's going to bring out some some crazy folks. And um, I, I'm sorry, and I don't mean to make light of the whole experience because I know that that you you had to endure a lot. And uh, you and Jen talked about uh, the cyberbullying that you had to endure, and you gave some good advice for other people having to deal with sort of trolls. Mm-hmm. And obviously, uh, Levy Rosman, I mean, he had to shut down his channels for a few days. His girlfriend was threatened. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it is important that we mention that. And, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the broader lesson is from it, unfortunately. I mean, it's just, but uh, yeah, that doesn't sound like that sounds pretty scary, honestly. Yeah, but what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? So yeah, uh huh. But I think I was prepared to do something like that. You know, uh, I mean, all all my life it was not very easy to to get to where I am um, mentally, mostly because um, well, trust is a male dominant world, and of course Indonesia as well, and and and. When I was growing up and uh, starting to play chess, all the tournaments have been played mostly, you know, just uh, against male, pretty much, and adults. So, and also the training that I had from my parents uh, playing in the train station or bus terminals or, you know, with all these people, I think it was some sort of um, 
it was some sort of uh, preparation as well to have a better mentality. So I think I handled everything quite well uh, that time and it didn't really affect my playing. In fact, uh, during the during the match, I was I was very focused and I didn't allow anything to distract me um, mentally and physically. And and I think with patience that I had, um, this is the fruit that I reap right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm first of all glad that you're healthy and have come through it. And yeah, as you say, um, just uh, just reward to to get the attention and the the prize for for all that you endured and for having the bravery to speak up. Obviously, you weren't like financially motivated at that time. You just uh, saw the story, and you know you're in a unique position with uh, your level of knowledge of chess and your platform to to set the record straight about uh, what was going on with the um, with the uh, veracity of the cheating allegations. The fact mm-hmm. that um, uh, you know an experienced chess player knows uh, what uh, someone looking from the outside does not know, especially if it's being misrepresented in the media. So thank you for doing that, Irene. Um, Okay, so uh, I'm about ready to wrap up, but we're going to take one more break, Irene, and hear from my friends at uh, aimchess.com. Not every chess player has a janitor to help them improve at chess like Beth Harmon did. For those of you who don't, there is aimchess.com. Aimchess has a web-based algorithm that collects and analyzes your games from chess.com or LeeChess, and then it creates personalized study plans based on your weaknesses to help you improve. It might highlight specific openings to work on, tell you to tighten up your tactics, or in my case, tell me to manage my time better. Then it gives you puzzles and advice with the goal of helping you improve your chess faster. You can check out Aim Chess for free. And then if you decide to subscribe, please use the promo code CHESS30 to save 30%. That's CHESS30. The details are also in the show notes. So for now, let's get back to the interview. And we're back. So Irene, um, I feel like we've covered the broader points. I know you've done a lot of media, so I want to thank you for, for your generosity with your time. But before we go, I'd just like to hear a, a little bit more about what your life is like. I've been to a decent number of countries, but I've never been to, to Indonesia. So do you live in the, the city or the suburbs? And what's your, your daily existence like outside of all the uh, online stuff and celebrity that you have? <laughs> yeah, uh, not people know that I've been doing this pretty much before the case between me and Dewa Kipas. Uh, but right now it's just uh, getting more frequent just because chess has uh, attracted so many attention. Uh, but this is not something new that I've been doing. So, uh, yes, Indonesia is the biggest archipelago country in the world. And I'm, I'm a proud Indonesian, obviously. Um, I'm, I was born and raised in Jakarta, the capital. Uh, but inside me, I'm always a country girl. So, okay. yeah, I don't, I don't really like big cities. Even when I was in the U.S., I, uh, I mean, New York or, um, San Francisco, you know, they, they always have their charms, but, um, I always like countries like Switzerland and then just go away from, uh, from Zurich <laughs> because yeah. Zurich is just very crowded itself. Um, so going to Interlaken or even Bill, I've, I've played there a few times already and I always like the atmosphere. Um, yeah. So that's pretty much about me. I'm, I'm a city girl, but I, I like anything's quiet. <laughs> so 
you you do live in the city, but you prefer the quiet life. Yes, yes. I yeah. I just have to live in the city because of my uh, activities uh, required me to do so, and all the meetings and so on. Uh, it's impossible if I leave outside the city. But if I could choose, like for example, Chester means overseas. Um, yeah, I would choose, uh, for example, maybe not in Amsterdam, but somewhere else. You know, like outside outside uh, the big cities. Some yeah, and then. Um, for example, also in Germany, I don't really like Berlin or, or Frankfurt, but I like all these, uh, little cities like Bad Kissingen and, uh, like Erfurt is also big, but you know, all the cities that we just somehow pass by in the train. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You prefer the U S they call it flyover country. You prefer, um, you prefer the places that are sometimes flown over, um, do you have a favorite uh, tournament place, like venue, that you've ever played at in all of your travels? Venue? Uh, I don't really have a favorite venue right now, but I always um, I always want to play in Reykjavik Open. I, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's one of my dreams to play there. And, um, but... Yeah, because Iceland is also one of my favorite cities. Um, actually, I was the oh sorry, my favorite countries. I actually I was the one who brought Eric uh, Eric Rosen to Europe for the first time, and it was Iceland, you know, the, um, his first European country. And um, yeah, it was such a great country. I, I, we loved it. We we visited the uh, Bobby Fischer's tomb and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was a great country, and because it was very quiet, I think that suits me a lot. Yeah, the Blue Lagoon. The Blue Lagoon, yes. Yeah, um, nice. And I, I also like New Zealand. New Zealand is very nice. Uh, I went there, how many? Twice, I guess. Yeah, and the nature is so beautiful. So I'm more to like a, yeah, I'm more to like nature than the city or buildings. Yeah, Jakarta is very crowded with 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 skyscrapers, uh, which I don't really like, of course. Um, I can see Irene cringing <laughs> as she says. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm, uh, I also have a country house here uh, about 50 kilometers away from Jakarta. It's literally on, um, on a mountain. And um, if, I, if I'm not busy, I'll, I, I spend my days over there. Uh, because I just need internet to connect me with the world. Uh, but yeah, sometimes you just have to have um, uh, one-on-one meeting, you know, like you have to meet and something like that. And sometimes it's, it, it cannot be done like that uh, when I was there. So yeah, so most of the time I'm just at the city. That's great. And last question, Irene, do you have any, what are your hobbies outside of chess? Do you have time for anything else? I love watching uh, movies. Yes. Uh, my friends know that uh, whenever they suggest any movies, I would be like, ah, I've watched that. I've watched that. <laughs> <Wow>. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a bit hard to watch movies with me because uh, I would always already watch it. But uh, I love reading books as well. I love history. So uh, before the invention of Netflix, for example, I... I I, I read books a lot, but nowadays, uh, sometimes it takes time and sometimes I just like, you know, I like stories. Um, yeah. Yeah, I like stories. So I just want to get one story done within like two hours and that's it. Because if you're reading books, it takes sometimes a few days. Um, yeah. 
And what else do I like? Oh, and now I'm balancing my me time with coffee and tea. So I don't know. I'm more a tea person before, but I think the US has changed me into a coffee person because of all these assignments and so on that I had to stay up. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and and there was uh, a coffee shop really nearby uh, my campus uh, that day. So yeah, I've just I've been just uh, piling myself with all these coffees and so on. So now when I'm back in Indonesia or uh, after I graduated from the, from uh, from the US, I just, you know, if, if you ask me right now whether I will choose tea or coffee, I don't know which one I would choose. But before, I would definitely uh, prefer tea over coffee. Okay, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm team coffee as well, but I, li- <laughs> I like them both as well as other forms of caffeine. Maybe you can join uh, John Bartholomew in a quest to get sponsored by Starbucks. Bring, uh, bring, bring coffee to the masses in Indonesia as you are popularizing chess. Oh, I'm I'm not going to agree with that <laughs> because <laughs> I'm trying to popularize uh, the local coffee itself. So Indonesia, oh, good for you, yeah, yes, yeah. Indonesia. The- you have no idea, Ben. Indonesia has so many, so many good coffees, and I'm sure you have heard a few I've of them. them. Yeah, right. A, the yeah. Luwak coffee, you know about this? Uh, the 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 that one, one doesn't ring a bell, but something Sumatra, I believe, is a... well. Sumatran coffee is different. Uh, okay. They're all, they're also produce like very good coffee. And Toraja, this is another part of uh, Indonesia which is in Celebes or Sulawesi. But Luwak coffee is something you know that uh, this part of animal. Uh, I forgot which animal it is in English. So they basically eat the the coffee and you take okay I'm, I'm uh, trying to get some intel for you while you uh while you while you tell the story go ahead yeah 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 so for some people it might be a bit disgusting but you don't actually eat the poop of the animal but it's <laughs> oh Okay. But you know, it's it will be processed. You know, like uh, the hygiene will be, of course, tasted and everything else. So don't worry about that. But for some people, uh, it is it is a really good coffee, and and I think it's uh, mostly produced in Bali, if okay. I'm not mistaken. Kapi luwak is a coffee that consists of partially digested coffee cherries, which have been eaten and defecated by the Asian palm civet. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, That's I can see why unique. you couldn't come up couldn't come up with the animal. I I'm hesitant. I have to say, Irene, but I do love coffee. So yes, um, I'll, I'll think of, I'll think hard about trying that. Um, Okay, well, that's an excellent. What better note to end on than uh, than coffee beans that are defecated from an animal? Um, so, Irene. Um, so you're on Twitter. You went from like a few thousand followers to like twenty thousand in like you know five hours or something. Um, and um, you've got your Twitch channel, your YouTube channel. Um, of course, we'll be watching and rooting for you in your upcoming tournaments in Beale and at the World Cup. Uh, anything else we need to do to keep to keep up with what you're doing, Irene? I'm mostly active uh, on Instagram because uh, that's what I think Indonesian people are most active too, besides YouTube. I think, yeah, um, the most common platform for Indonesian uh, internet users right now, they are just Instagram and YouTube. So I'm trying to be active on both of them, especially um, to promote chess among the Indonesian viewers. Uh, that's why maybe lately uh, my postings have been uh, mostly in Indonesian, just because 
uh, how it is. But yeah, anyway, I will not stop promoting chess. Uh, let it be another cheating scandal or not. I'll, I'll keep doing the chess promotion. <laughs> Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. And thank you for doing this interview, Irene. And yeah, we will definitely be rooting for you. So uh, it's um, morning here in the US, but have a good night there in uh, Indo- Indonesia. Thank you, Ben. Thanks, as always, to my producer, Matthew Passy. Thanks to you all for listening. And thanks to those of you who help spread the word, whether it be positive reviews on podcast platforms, telling friends, social media, all that stuff helps get the word out and it is much appreciated. By the way, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at BennyFischel1. You can join the Perpetual Chess Facebook group to continue the conversation, sometimes even with that week's guests. The Perpetual Chess Instagram page is back in action as well at Perpetual Chess. And you can also find all these links on the Perpetual Chess webpage, perpetualchesspod.com. But of course, the main purpose of these closing credits is to thank everyone who supports Perpetual Chess financially. Without you all, we would not be able to put out such a consistent and hopefully quality product. So thanks so much. It really means the world to me. And in particular, I would like to give thanks to the following people and entities, starting off with my friends at chessable.com. Aside from that, I would like to thank David Lazarus of lasmanchess.com. He is the coach of Dave's Young Tigers on Lee Chess, our friends at Quality Chess Books, the Capital City Chess Club, the Abysmal Depths of Chess blog, Adapta Interactive Web Designs and Services, the Apprentice Twitch channel, A Needy Deer, Austin Clough, Benjamin Porto, Bill Sigler, Kathy Carr, Chad Oliver, the Charlotte Chess Center, the Chess Essentials Chess blog, chessmood.com, Chris Flanagan, Chris Lott, Dan O'Hanlon, Daniel He, Danny Davidson, David Schreiber, I am Dimitri Schneider, I am Eric Rosen, Eric Tam, Ewan Richardson, Farhan Thawar, Faraz Sawaf, Gary Foreman, Glenn Downing, Greg Harfst, Greg Shahadi, Gregory Gullick, Guvin Manet, James Holyhead, James Kennedy, Jeff Martinson, Jens Green, Jeremy Nielsen, John Jernigan, John Rockefeller, John MacArthur, Kelly Palmer, Kevin O'Callaghan, King Selt, the King's Crusher YouTube channel, one of the original chess YouTube channels, Lucio Casada Silva, the law offices of Stuart Katz, Matthew Feeney, Michael Can, FM Michael Oblin, Mike Zelazny, Mr. Mike Shahadi, the legendary Mr. Dodgy, the Nerd Nays Twitch channel, GM Peter Prohaska, Peter Sodhi, the Playmore Chess Academy of the Hamden Chess Club, Reuven Fisher, Reverend Roy Fry, the Seattle Chess Club, Shane Unger, Stefan Kelty, Stephen Martinez, Sven Gearson, Thomas Stanix, Thomas Tachenko, Todd Bryant of Strong Chess, Todd Kennedy, the Vintage Patsers, which is a chess.com improver group. You can look them up. Wayne Bean, William Hogarth, and I also would like to thank Aaron Waffler, Ace Viega, Adam Ralph of ChessEngland.com, Adrian Gutierrez, Al Hastings, Alan and Maggie Sue, Alex Pejas, Alexander Markovics, Antonio Cancino, FM Andre Tarakov, Dr. Andrew Perry, Angus McLeod, Barry Hessian, Bill Juniper, Bill Moran, Bill Trammell, Brad and Andy Rosen, Brett Howard Lynn, Brian Chase, Brian Mullis, Bruce Scott, 
Brian Tillis of Palm Beach Chess, Cameron Davis, Chad Hilton, Chess Potzer Spain, Dr. Charles Snodgrass, Chris Wainscott, Christopher Baumgartner, Christopher Shabri, Christopher Wood, I am Christoph Zalecki, also known as Chess Explained, Coach Jay's Chess Academy, Corey Butson, Costa Carras, Courtney Fry, Craig Mallon, Daniel Ginsberg, Daniel Naylor, Dave Saylor, David Bleskacek, David Brown, David Hamblin, David Cramley, Dalen Shelton, Dennis Parrish, Dirk Decker, FM Donnie Ariel, Dwayne Edmonds, Ed Daly, Ed Mead, Emmanuel Langual, Robitai, Ethan Smith, Hallelujah Cat, Ian Mason, Fide Arbiter, Arbiter, Arbiter excuse me, Felipe Melo Perdera, Fox Valley Chess Club, Francis Letart Lavoie, Frank Tor- Dr. Frank Tortoris, Frank Zanani, Gary Andrews, Gary Lewis, Gautam Narula, Geert Vandervelde, Gene Stewart, George Harris, Giovanni Russo, Han Shoot, Harish Srinivasan, Howard Vihan, Jacob Kovac, Jason Apollo, Jason Murray, Jacques Pari, James Aspinwall, James Benastia, James Muir, Jason Woolham, Jadeep Chakrabarty, Jeff Anderson, Jeffrey Martello, Yep Hoyland, Jerry Wells, Jesse Dacumos, Jesse McNulty, Jim Ratliff, Joe DeSano, Joe Valdez, Joel Thomas Ramos, John Tooley, Juan Almaguar, Dr. John Fallon, John Fernandez, John Fontaine, John Hartman of U.S. Chess, John Jeffrey, John McMurtry, Jonathan Slater, John Quist, John Tully, Jose Rodriguez, Justin Gardner, Jen Shahadi, Joel Rocky, John Thompson, GM Josh Friedel, I am Kare Christensen, WGM Katarina Nemsova, Kelly Palmer, Kevin Pryor, I am Kostya Kovutsky of the Chess Dojo, Krishna Gopala Krishnan, Kyle McAvoy, Larry Cook, Larry Ryforth, Laura Belyovsky, Macaulay Peterson, Mark Fitzpatrick, Mark Miller, Mark Wilkins, Marco Bulatovich, Martin Knudsen, Martin Krug, Matthew Passy, Matthew Tedesco of SeattleChessMeetup.org, Matthias Plock, Mechanics Institute Chess Club of San Francisco, Michael Allard, Michael Hudson, Mike Clem, Mitchell Fabian, Nate Gobel, Nate Solon, Neil Bruce, Nigmat Malijanov, Nicholas Isabel, Olaf Mueller-Michaels, GM Pascal Charbonneau, Passy Passanen, Paul Bain, Paul Clarkson, Paul Sweeney, Paulo Santana, Peter Lux, Queenside Management Limited in Switzerland, Randy Temple, Ricky Grahava, Richard Hollenbach, Richard Tucker, Robert Callahan, Robert Titi, Robert Turner, Rory Coleman, Rory Yearwood, Ryan Berg, the Say Chess YouTube channel, Scott McKinnon, Scott Shepard, Sean Krause, Sebastian Finsterwater, Walter, Sergey Magacon, Seth Ruzicka, Shane Unger, Silver Knights in Richmond, Stefan Roller, WGM Tatia Vabrahamian, Tim Brennan of TacticsTime.com, Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, FM Timothy Wall, Tom Edsel, Tomas Komanich, Tony Rattel, Tyron Price, Vishnu Srikumar, William Brock, William Peterson, FM Zhao Chang of Chess1000.com, and last but never least, Zhivko Stoyanov. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we will catch you all next week.
Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.